And welcome everyone to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And I want to devote tonight's, today is whenever you're listening to this uh, radio broadcast or if you want to use it as a podcast, I want to devote it all to what has really been an extraordinary series of events coming out of the United Kingdom. As you know, I usually like to focus on events coming out of Israel to try to give you some different analysis, if you get any analysis at all, of the news out of there, or obviously something going on here in the United States. But what's going on right now in Great Britain and what started this week in Great Britain, really, really front of mind for me. In fact, uh, on, on the program that I executive produced for I-24 News, I led with this story twice last week. Um, and if you're listening and don't know exactly when the date is, it was the week before Thanksgiving. I led with it twice during that week because uh, it's really an important story, and it's going on still, and I think it really requires some understanding uh, beyond what you may be hearing, and, and maybe you're hearing nothing. Uh, I, I don't know how much the American news uh, outlets have covered this at all. I don't think they have. And I don't even know how much some of the Jewish news organizations have been covering it that heavily, because it's coming out of Great Britain, and, and that's not necessarily the beat that they're that familiar with. But what happened is this. On Monday or Tuesday, I think this was Tuesday, the chief rabbi of Great Britain, and Great Britain has a chief rabbi. This is a government-sanctioned position. Um, it always goes really to an Orthodox rabbi. I don't think it's ever gone to a conservative or reform rabbi. It's usually an Orthodox rabbi, or you know, as we would call it, a modern Orthodox rabbi. And currently, the chief rabbi of Great Britain is a man named Ephraim Mervis. Many of you may remember some of the previous uh, chief rabbis of Israel, like Emmanuel Jacobovitz, uh, and there are a number of others who have really been quite prominent in the, in the worldwide Jewish community, not just in Great Britain, which of course is really a relatively small Jewish community compared to the United States, certainly compared to Israel, certainly even in some ways even compared to Canada, uh, Great Britain has a small Jewish community. But anyway, uh, Ephraim Mervis comes out with a statement, an incredible statement for a chief rabbi uh, again, even though this is a government-sanctioned position, it is almost unheard of for a chief rabbi in the history of that position to come out with any kind of a statement about the, a political election that's going on. Now, Britain is in the midst of an election right now. They are going to go to the polls to vote for their new government on December 12th. So if you're listening to this on the days after Thanksgiving, it's, it's about 10 days away. And Ephraim Mervis writes a statement that was published in the Times of London, which is obviously one of the major newspapers in Britain, saying that the Labour Party, led by Jeremy Corbyn, is unfit to lead because of its intentional and continued encouragement and promotion of anti-Semitism. And he goes into many arguments there, and you can find it if you do Rabbi Mervis, Times of London, Rabbi Mervis... Labor Party. If you if you search those on Google, you'll you'll find the full article, and I will post it on my Twitter feed at Jake Jake NY, along with a number of other articles and and uh, stories and other ref reference points that I'm going to make during this broadcast, so that you're able to read the full the full data and get and do a little bit more research. But Rabbi Mervis writes this column, and it's just an extraordinary thing because chief rabbis of of, of Great Britain aren't traditionally making these kinds of statements. And he certainly feels clearly, he, go, he painstakingly admits that this is not something that is usually done, but he pain, also painstakingly says why he feels this is so necessary. 
Because the Labour Party's anti-Semitism and Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labour Party's anti-Semitism, has been so prominent, has been so regular, has just been so enduring, and it has caused, and, and the main point of the article was that this has caused so much fear and so much agitation in the British Jewish community that it's an absolutely accepted fact by many of them that if for some reason Labour wins this election, and if some reason Jeremy Corbyn becomes the next Prime Minister, a tremendous chunk of the Jews of Great Britain will leave the country out of great fear for their safety, which is already much more compromised than it's possibly ever been in Great Britain since the time of, you know, maybe the Middle Ages, when individual kings would go back and forth on how they felt about the Jews in Great Britain. Uh, there were at least two times when the Jews were expelled from Great Britain. There was one time where it was a very violent end. Many Jews were burned alive in Great Britain. The Great Britain doesn't have a great, great long history when it comes to the Jewish people. Um, it's been pretty good for a, a while now, obviously, in, in the modern era, but not always great. And for those of you who know your history of mandatory, uh, what they would call then mandatory Palestine, the British rule over mandatory Palestine was, was a mess. Was a mess in their, in their inability to really decide how they were going to fairly administer the land. What be, uh, that became the state of Israel, they, they did all kinds of crazy things, including the most notoriously bad move, which was the white paper of the mid-1930s, which effectively trapped hundreds of thousands of Jews in Europe to be killed in the Holocaust when they could have come to what was then known as Mandatory Palestine. Obviously, a long history there, one, one way or the other. But Rabbi Mervis makes this statement. He admits it is an unusual thing. He admits he's going out of protocol, and yet he makes this statement anyway. So that's the first really extraordinary thing. Not that I think there's anything extraordinary about the facts of what he said. The facts are all there, folks. Jeremy Corbyn absolutely is someone who has recruited anti-Semites into the Labor Party. He is absolutely someone who has dangled anti-Semitism out to the voting public that he thinks would most like to see it. And he personally has done so many things that are so favorable to violent enemies of Israel, including laying a wreath at the tomb of one of the Munich terrorists, the, the 1972 Munich uh, terrorist attack on the Israeli athletes. I mean, to even visit a cemetery where somebody like that is buried would be beyond nuts. But to lay a wreath at one of the terrorist graves was something that, that, that Corbyn did not all that long ago, folks. I mean, the man has also talked about his friendship with certain members of Hamas. To me, there is nothing extraordinary about the way the facts were couched in Rabbi Mervis's column and in his statement to the British people. What was extraordinary was for him to actually do this, because again, it was, it's in the midst of an election season, and he's basically saying, not just to the Jewish people of Great Britain, but really to all people of Great Britain, don't vote for labor. They, are, they, they soak anti-Semitism, they encourage anti-Semitism, and it's causing a fear for the, li for the lives of your, of, of your fellow countrymen in, that, in, in, in Great Britain. So that was extraordinary for him to, to, to say that, and clearly yeah, something that was really <laughs> tugging on him, that he really felt he needed to do it. But that's not the end of the list of extraordinary things that happened based on this story, because almost immediately after that column was published, the British press went to the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now, for those of you who don't know how it works in Great Britain, it's a little bit of a mishmash, and it has a lot to do with what happened during the reign of Henry VIII. But, you know, Britain was, of course, a Catholic country until Henry VIII broke with the church because they wouldn't let him get a divorce. And he starts his own Church of England. And officially, whoever is the reigning sovereign of Great Britain is the head of the Church of England. So right now, Queen Elizabeth II is officially the head of the Church of England. But the person who is the COO, 
the person who really operates the Church of England has always been the Archbishop of Canterbury. That is a, another official role within not only the religious life of Great Britain, but it's also a government position in, in many ways. It's a government sanctioned position and all of that. So the current Archbishop of Canterbury, who, like so many Archbishops of Canterbury before him, I think just about all of them in the last 40 years almost, is extremely leftist, usually much more favorable to labor ideology, no matter who the Archbishop of Canterbury happens to be. Usually not too friendly to Israel, usually not too friendly to the Jewish community in that sense, other than just being sort of polite. But what was really extraordinary is this current Archbishop of Canterbury, who has shown no real great sympathy for Israel, the Jewish people, in any extraordinary way. No, no, no added hostility either, just the usual politeness to the Jewish community and, and somewhat hostility to, to the state of Israel. Came out In this case, though, the Archbishop of Canterbury came out very quickly and supported Rabbi Mervis. Now, he did not say, the Archbishop of Canterbury did not come out and say, oh yeah, everything Mervis said is true, don't vote for labor. He didn't do that. Okay, don't, don't get too excited. But what he did do immediately is, uh, and he did it, it, it twice in two days, is he said, you know what? I'm going to support Rabbi Mervis in his, in his, in, in his feelings of, of fear and his feelings of concern because he, he said something really almost more important than agreeing with the facts of what Rabbi Mervis said because remember, the real scandal they're going to try to pin him with, on, the thing that they're going to try to get Rabbi Mervis is, that, oh, you're not supposed to say anything political. The attacks on Rabbi Mervis won't go into the facts of his very serious factual argument against the labor government. They're going to try to, quote, get him. They're going to try to get him on, oh, the chief rabbi isn't supposed to make political pronouncements. And yet the Archbishop of Canterbury, not only does he not go down that route, but he supports him in the statement. He says, if Rabbi Mervis is feeling that scared, and if the Jewish community of Britain is feeling this scared, which, I, which the Archbishop of Canterbury said he believes is a real feeling, is something that is absolutely, absolutely truly happening and not trumped up, then I must support him for making the statement. So in a lot of ways, that's actually better. You know, listen, we'd all love for the Archbishop of Canterbury to say, yeah, Labor's a bunch of anti-Semitic buffoons. That would be fine. But it's better that he said this because, again, remember, the way they're going after Rabbi Mervis is, how dare you in your official position where you're supposed to be neutral come out and say that one particular party is unfit to lead. That's what you're hearing. You're seeing it already in the, not only in some of the British left-wing press, but in the New York Times, of, of course, Naturally, the New York Times going into the whole story, instead of showing real sympathy for the Jews who were in serious fear in Great Britain where anti-Semitic attacks have been rising, there was just another one, I believe, yesterday where another Orthodox rabbi, not Rabbi Mervis, thank goodness, but another rabbi, not that it's any better that another Orthodox rabbi was attacked, but another Orthodox rabbi was attacked by a bunch of teenagers in Great Britain, and I don't know what the ethnicity of them were. It doesn't really matter to me. It's just another anti-Semitic attack that has been very much on the rise in Great Britain in recent years. So instead of showing sympathy for that, instead of showing, you know, explaining why Jeremy Corbyn has a lot to, def to answer for, and the Labor Party has a lot to answer for on the, uh, on the matter of anti-Semitism, they, they did attack, the New York Times of course attacked Rabbi Mervis for having the gall to, to stay out, of, getting out of his lane, so to speak, and, 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 and issuing this warning. And so for the Archbishop of Canterbury to support Rabbi Mervis in, that, in, in his right to do so, was very important. And then the leader of the Hindu uh, community in Great Britain also expressed the same kind of support, a little bit more support actually, coming from the, the leader of the Hindu community. Uh, obviously, a tremendous amount of Indian uh, born or of Indian um, lineage people who live in Great Britain. Of course, <laughs> India was one of their colonies for hundreds of years. So honestly, folks, this was a 
very extraordinary couple of days in Great Britain. And it also happened to coincide with, for those of you who think this has nothing to do with Israel, it coincided with two really interesting things that happened as well. First of all, President Ruben Riven made a already previously scheduled visit to Great Britain the day after Rabbi Mervis's column was first published in the Times of London. So it was good timing because the first thing that Ruben Rivlin said, in addition to very warmly supporting Rabbi Mervis, was his concern about anti-Semitism rising in Great Britain and in individual political parties who are uh, cultivating it. And he didn't say Labor Party and he didn't say Jeremy Corbyn, but President Ruben Rivlin was clearly talking about that. And that was a nice uh, bit of support for Rabbi Mervis. And then people started to remember something that happened back in September, which was back in September, the news media asked Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel, hey, would you still be able to continue the intelligence and military cooperation that Israel and Great Britain have had for many years if Jeremy Corbyn and the Labor government come to power? And Benjamin Netanyahu just looked at the reporter and said, well, what do you think? You know, the obvious answer being no. And just to make cl clear on that one, a, a, a couple of weeks ago, the Labor Party issued a statement saying that if they are elected to run the government and Jeremy Corbyn becomes prime minister, they will immediately put a halt to any defense sales to Israel. I don't know how much Great Britain sells military uh, material to, to Israel. My guess is that it's not a lot, but this would just be a symbolic slap in the face, but, but still a slap in the face, which the Britain, British Labor Party would certainly jump at the chance to do, and Jeremy Corbyn would jump at the chance to do. You know, folks, again, I, I, I urge you, if you don't know about Jeremy Corbyn's uh, history and the Labor Party's history, for you to do some research on it. I will post things on my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY, so that you can see some of it if you scroll through it. If it depending on what day you're listening to this, this edition of, of Novak Now, you might have to scroll a little bit further away, but... I promise you my Twitter feed isn't, isn't boring. It's, it could be a lot of things, but it's not boring. So you'll be able to find other things while you're looking for that. But I will post that, those things uh, as of Sunday night or Monday morning of uh, the first week in December. But, folks, what we're seeing here is, I, I, I want to go into a little bit of the history of it and also put it into the context of what we're dealing with here in the United States. Obviously, I said I was going to talk about the Great Britain thing primarily, but obviously I have to tie this into the United States as well. We are dealing with a similar issue here in the United States where someone, you know, where, where we are seeing President Trump being accused of, be, of somehow, quote, dog whistling. If those of you don't know what dog whistling is, that, that means saying certain things that, that prick up the ears of anti-Semites uh, or certain people without actually saying, hate the Jews or go attack the Jews. President Trump is actually accused of this. For those of you who follow what he actually says and find that to be outrageous, uh, I'm with you. But you have to understand that it's a very big talking point for the left to accuse President Trump of somehow creating a great utopian-type atmosphere, a perfect atmosphere for white supremacists, be they anti-Jewish white supremacists or anti-black white supremacists. I don't think any of that is true. But when they make those arguments, they often use that term dog whistling. Well, he's not actually inviting white supremacists to the White House, and he's not actually saying go kill blacks or go kill Jews, but he's saying certain things that really get them excited. Like when he calls the illegal immigrants that come from Mexico an infestation or an invasion, that's, that's a dog whistle to white supremacists. Of course, they don't use the word illegal when they say that. They conveniently leave that out. They'll say President Trump is talking about all immigrants that way which is something that white supremacists say, and they're pretending he's saying the same thing to them. And then they conveniently leave out that President Trump is either talking about illegal immigrants 
or MS-13 immigrants, who, by the way, they don't kill white people, folks. For those of you who are upset about MS-13 and um, the way that President Trump talks about MS-13 and you think that he's talking about some kind of gang that's going to threaten white people, uh, do your research and find out how many non-Latino immigrants or Latino first-generation people MS-13 has killed. There's not enough of them to fill a phone booth. MS-13 targets other Latinos. The Latino community is frightened of MS-13 because they're their primary targets. And for those of you who live on Long Island like I do, you just need to read your, your Newsday every once in a while and you'll hear another case of MS-13 killings. And it's never a white person that they killed. Not that it should matter. We should be concerned about any gang that's killing anybody in this country. But if you're of the, of the mind that, that bringing up the name MS-13 is somehow a way to frighten white people, you're way off base because it's the Latinos, their fellow Latinos, that they're killing, which is you know, a, a true disgrace. And if I were a member of the Latino community, I would consider that even worse. But I think we can all agree it's not good. But here you have this incredible narrative, this stretch narrative. Uh, there is some group called the Jewish Democratic Council that put out a one-minute ad a couple of weeks ago saying that President Trump, I mean, this, this is a real video, you can watch it, that President Trump is the biggest threat to America's Jews. And their arguments are filled with cherry-picked nonsense. They, like I said, leave out the word illegal immigrants or MS-13 when they're talking about President Trump's talk about the immigrants, although they're not smart enough to black out the word MS-13 when they made a big blow-up graphic of one of President Trump's tweets. I mean, you can actually still see the, the name MS-13, and that's clearly what it's talking about. So these people aren't the biggest chachamim. I mean, they're not the greatest geniuses, but all right. Um, they cherry-pick. They do the whole, you know, you've heard me talk about this on, on, the, on the Novak Now program here on the Nachum Siegel Network. They, they make that whole, they promote that whole lie, the outright, complete lie that you keep hearing among Democrats, whether they're Jewish or not, that President Trump called the white supremacists at Charlottesville very fine people, which he did not do. He made it very clear that he was condemning them and the neo-Nazis, and yet they deliberately take something out of context so they can tar him with that. And you have a presidential candidate in Joe Biden who not only promotes that lie, but says that's the reason why he's running. Take a look at Joe Biden's official campaign announcement video. He says the reason why he's running is because President Trump said this. So he's, re he's running for a lie. So if we show Tr Joe Biden that he didn't actually say that, will he drop out of the race? Maybe. You know, I doubt it. But whatever. I mean, th th this, th this, so they show that in the ad. They show these tweets out of context. Then they do another uh, lovely thing, which is they show, uh, th they say no wonder under President Trump there was that deadly shooting in Pittsburgh. And I did an entire program on the Nachum Siegel Network here on Novak Now about the Pittsburgh Tree of Life shooting. And you know the story there, which is that under other presidents, we've had mass shootings or attempted mass shootings of Jews in this country. Under President Clinton in 1999, for those of you who remember in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles area, a man walked into a JCC day camp with an Uzi ready to shoot up as many little ch Jewish children as he could possibly shoot. He ended up shooting five people. He only killed, a, 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 I believe, a postal worker as he was leaving. Why wasn't the shooting worse? Thankfully, they had a locked security door and they had a security guard. They did not have enough security, in my opinion, and certainly not by today's standards. But even by 1999 standards, I don't think they had enough security. But they had some, and it ended up saving lives. But nobody had the vulgarity, and I'm glad they didn't, to blame President Clinton for that in 1999. And they shouldn't have. It wasn't his fault. And in 2014... Under President Obama, a man went into a Jewish nursing home in Kansas City, Missouri, also intending to shoot up a bunch of people. He did end up killing a number of people, not Jews. He ended up shooting other people who were working there. 
But there, too, there was a little bit of security, so thank God it did not end up being a 7, 8, 9, 10 murder, uh, murdered people death toll type of incident. So why was Pittsburgh different? Not because of the politics. Not because of anything Donald Trump said. Pittsburgh was different because they had no security at all. No locked doors, no security guards, certainly no armed guard. And to me, that is just as much of a disgrace as anything else. We do have to have a little bit more vigilance, whether it's good times or bad times, whether anti-Semitism is on the rise or not. And that's why there were so many dead bodies, sadly, at, at, at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, because they had no security at all, not because of politics. Sadly, people have always been trying to kill. There's always anti-Semites who are trying to kill the Jews. That has been true for 2,000 years and longer, probably. We have to be more vigilant, and it doesn't matter who the president is, especially a president who has been so friendly to the Jewish people and the state of Israel. And those are people who don't think that's true need to get some psychological help. I'm sorry to throw that around like it's a joke because I don't mean to denigrate people who are having mental issues, but there's something wrong with you if you think Donald Trump is against the Jews or an anti-Semite or is somehow fomented anti-Semitism. There is something mentally wrong with you. You need to check yourself and ask yourself why you're having this delusion. Because my friends, as much as white supremacism in the hinterlands of this country or in relatively more established Jewish communities like Pittsburgh, yes, there is white supremacism out there. I grew up in the South for most of my uh, childhood and I can tell you some of it is there. But I can also tell you that it is nothing compared to what the where the real front lines of anti-Semitism are right now. First of all, the real front line, the most important front line in anti-Semitism is, of course, the state of Israel, where Jews are attacked with rockets, where Jews, uh, the, the actual existence of the home of seven million Jews is threatened on an almost daily basis. It's not threatened in the way that it's going to, you know, it's precarious, but it is attacked, physically attacked almost every single day, pretty much every single day it is. This time, it's mostly, at this very moment, it's mostly sponsored by one country in Iran, but that is the real front line on anti-Semitism. And as far as the United States is concerned, of course, Great Britain is, is certainly more of a front line than anywhere in the United States as well, and ha uh, unfortunately for them. But the real front lines in anti-Semitism in this country is Brooklyn, New York. It seems like every single day, Jews in Brooklyn, usually Crown Heights, are being physically attacked, and they're catching it on video all the time. And you know what? Not a single one of them is being carried out by a white supremacist. Even the police will say that. And you don't need the police to tell you. You look at the videos. These attacks are being carried out not by white supremacists, not by Trump supporters. And this is for real stuff, not threats. This is for real stuff that's going on by Jews who, are, are, who identify as Orthodox Jews, black hat, beards, yarmulkes, Jews who are really easily identifiable, who are in the, on the front lines in places like Crown Heights, and they are being attacked every day. And you know what? Guess who is one of the biggest, strongest uh, sources of support for President Donald Trump? Guess who just raised $4 million for Donald Trump uh, late in November? Orthodox Jews in New York. So the Jews who are really on the front lines in anti-Semitism, whether in, they're in Israel or in Brooklyn, are strong supporters of Donald Trump. And we're supposed to believe that he's the big enemy of the Jewish people? It's nonsense. Now, I'm not telling you to vote for Donald Trump. I'm not telling you not to vote for Donald Trump. But I am telling you that if you are somehow a part of the delusion, if you are somehow deluded into thinking that he is a threat to the Jewish people in the United States, I suggest you do first check your facts one more time, ask yourself why you're thinking that, and if you still think that, get help. 
And I'm not saying that as a joke, and I'm not saying that as a denigration. I think that there's a, a large number of people who are really hurting in this country. And it's leading them to a, a kind of emotional pain that, that needs to be cared for, whether Donald Trump remains president or not, folks. That's how serious I think this is. I really do. I, I think that if you are really someone who walks around and thinks that Donald Trump is a threat to Jews, uh, I, I think you need help. And I'm not saying that as a joke, and I'm not saying that to, to shut you down. I'm saying that because I actually give a damn, and I think you need help. But getting back to Great Britain, here's what I want to talk about. Here's what I want to talk about when it comes to what we're dealing with there. Jeremy Corbyn and the Labor Party aren't blowing dog whistles. Jeremy Corbyn and the Labor Party aren't, in a delusional way, anti-Semitic. They are anti-Semitic. There are leaders in the, in, in the Labor Party, actual leaders, not, not people who are being dog-whistled out in Alabama somewhere. I'm talking about people who are serving in what they call a shadow government. When you have a party in Britain that's not in power, they create shadow ministers so that if they take control tomorrow, you can have a defense minister and a labor minister. You understand what I'm saying. I'm talking about people who are very high up in Jeremy Corbyn's cabinet, so to speak, who are absolutely anti-Semites, who have... Who, who have statement, made statements that are tremendously anti-Semitic. Some of them have apologized, some of them haven't. These aren't people who come to a rally to support Jeremy Corbyn. These are people who are on the stage with Jeremy Corbyn at the rally. This isn't dog whistle nonsense. This isn't delusional anti-Semitism. This is real anti-Semitism. And by the way, we've got that here in the United States too. Bernie Sanders isn't dog whistling anti-Semites and anti-Israel, vi vi you know, violent and virulent anti-Israel anti types, he's inviting them on stage. He's encouraging Linda Sarsour and, and Elon Omar and all those people who are virulently anti-Semitic and virulently anti-Israel to join him on stage. He's proud to have them as, as his supporters, as his member, elected members of Congress who support him, not Linda Sarsour, but Elon Omar. And to some extent, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is incredibly ignorant about so many things. But Israel, she's plenty of hatred. You know, she's got plenty of hatred for Israel and has parroted a number of the attacks on Israel. This isn't a dog whistle. Bernie, whistle, Bernie Sanders is saying, I'm proud that, that Elon Omar supports me. I'm proud that these people support me. He, he's proud that Linda Sarsour is supporting him. This isn't a made-up thing. Again, if you're someone who thinks that Donald Trump is somehow nodding and winking behind his back to anti-Semites, why aren't you worrying about someone like Bernie Sanders who's inviting them on stage with him openly? Just because Bernie Sanders was born from a Jewish mother, that, that gives, it's okay for him to do that? That makes him even more dangerous. That makes him even more dangerous because he'll be able to get away even more with anti-Semitic policies and statements because he'll always be able to say, well, I'm a proud Jew. How proud of a Jew is he? He doesn't do anything Jewish. What's so proud about his Jewishness? Someone needs to explain that one to me, but we'll, that's another program. But my friends, what we're dealing with in Great Britain is virulent, open anti-Semitism by a member of the, the second leading party in the nation. This isn't a joke. This isn't a delusion. This is for real. And Jeremy Corbyn refuses to adequately apologize for all the fear and consternation he's caused for the, for the British Jews. And I will post this story uh, so you can get a little bit more information about it. This is a complete outgrowth of something that a previous Labor Prime Minister did. Tony Blair, who I don't think is an anti-Semite, although he's incredibly ignorant about what's going on in Israel and always has been. But Tony Blair decided to, to advance a policy of allowing a lot of Muslim immigrants into the country for a number of reasons, not the least of which he really felt the Muslims would vote labor. 
So Jeremy Corbyn, who thinks that the lowest common denominator, the way to really get Muslims is to, is to in tap into their hatred of Jews. I don't think all these Muslim immigrants who are coming into London hate Jews that much. Probably a lot of them do, but th that, that may not be the reason that they'll vote for one guy or the other. But Jeremy Corbyn, who secretly probably hates the Muslims too, thinks of them as just people who hate Jews. And if he wants to get their votes, he's going to come out there and, and dangle a little anti-Semitism in front of their noses, which he's been doing for years. That's what's going on in Britain. That's the reality, not a delusion. I'm Jake Novak. I hope to speak to you again next week.